Well, last week we were looking at the book of Jeremiah, which is a lengthy book in the Old Testament. And as I said last week, it really pivots around this important turning point for the people of God in their story, the Israelites, which happened in 587 BC. It was the final destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians when they entered into that city and destroyed the temple, the palace, and the walls. And they took most of all the people that lived in that city back with them to Babylon. And today we're looking at Lamentations, which in Jeremiah, it's a mixture of historical narrative and prophecy. And some people think that Lamentations is this moment that is talked about in the book of Jeremiah, where those few people, the remnant that were left inside of Jerusalem, are there after the destruction, after 587 BC. And there, while they're in that city that's been destroyed, they worship God. And this is the the thoughts, the words, the prayers that come to mind for those people who were worshiping that day in Jerusalem. And then it gets written down, of course, into this poetry, into this text that's in Lamentations for us. And so it deals with the same reality. Jerusalem is destroyed. All is lost. Truly, all is lost for the people. The people are scattered and dispersed. And so heartbreak abounds for the people of God when we read the book of Lamentations. Today, I'll be reading chapter five for us, the very last chapter. There's only five chapters of the book of Lamentations. So I invite you now on the screens in front of you, and I do want to give maybe just a disclaimer. If you have two-year-olds, three-year-olds, or four-year-olds, there is language that might be uncomfortable in this text to listen to. So listen to the word of God. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us, Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. With a yoke on our necks, we are hard driven. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have made a pact with Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned, they are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us, there is no one to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is black as an oven from the scorching heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are sick. Because of these things, our eyes have grown dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us these many days? Restore to us yourself, O Lord, 
that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond all measure. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many years ago now, when I was a seminarian, one of the requirements for becoming ordained in the Presbyterian church is to do a three-month chaplain internship in a hospital setting. Now, the hospital setting can look a little bit different depending upon where you are and what's available around you. And I did not do mine in a medical setting, but I did mine in a psychiatric hospital in Trenton, New Jersey. It was the only psychiatric hospital in the state of New Jersey when I was living there. And it was me and four other chaplain interns that did this for three months one summer while we were in seminary. Now, this experience was profound in a variety of different kinds of ways, and I experienced a whole range of emotions while I was doing this chaplain internship. I mean, there were days when the other chaplain interns and I would just, there were so many funny things that we would experience and we would laugh just uncontrollably every once in a while. Some of the things we experienced or we, we did while we were there, but then we also had very moving parts of life too. We would lead worship services in the different units inside of the hospital. This hospital, it's, it was not like what you imagine on TV. <laughs> when I watch TV and they talk about psychiatric hospitals, it's... It was not one of those places where you go to and they kind of hand you a glass of sparkling apple cider and they say, welcome, we're so glad that you're here, you're going to get so well in the next few weeks. Now, this hospital was a place that you went if you committed some kind of violent crime in the state of New Jersey said, you're going here instead of a jail because of the mental condition you're in right now. So people didn't go here by choice, they went here because something significant had happened in their life. And so there's different units inside of the hospital, some that were more strict than others, and where they were just coming in, some of the people, as they were getting from a state of disequilibrium to a state of equilibrium. And and so each of the chaplain interns was assigned to different units, and we would lead worship services on the unit. We would provide spiritual care. We would meet with the team of doctors and psychiatrists and other therapists, and we would help try to give wisdom into the life of the people that were living in those units at that time. And some of those worship services were some of the most profound experiences I had. I I remembered one patient going, Pastor, can you please recite for me Psalm 23 right now? And I said, oh yeah, one second, let me grab my Bible. I've got to flip it open. (laughs) And then he said, no, you should know it by heart. And I was like, yes, yes, I should know this by heart. You know, he was calling me to a higher standard as a pastor. And I was was so thankful for that. And these deeply meaningful uh, experiences. But also, if I'm honest, I was nervous and I was anxious quite a bit of that time. I think because I was the largest chaplain intern uh, that was there that summer, they gave me the unit that was the most strict and on the most lockdown. And so the people that were coming into there are just coming in. They were just getting onto medications and just seeing therapists for the very first time. And so it was, a, it was a, an unnerving experience at times. And so like most of us, when we're in highly anxious situations, I tried to gravitate towards a safe place while I was there for, on those units for six or seven hours a day. And there was a person that was sort of my safe place. He was always eager to talk and to say hello, to pray, 
to talk, to share about life. And as you progressed in getting better, your security levels increased. And if you're at a certain security level, you could take a walk with an intern out onto the grounds and get outside of the locked unit. And so this person had proceeded to that level, and he and I would take walks once a week while I was there and would pray together and would end up in the commissary so he could get a treat and then come back to the locked unit. And I appreciated those conversations. I love those conversations. Chaplain interns also had the ability to look at patients' medical records. And it just was so confusing to me. I couldn't understand why this person, this person that I thought of as my safe place, was there. It just was so confusing to me. So one day I looked into his medical records, and without getting into any HIPAA stuff, okay, um, I found out why he was there. And he was in a shopping area and had a mental breakdown one day and attacked another human being and that other human being sustained life-threatening trauma and actually suffered and died as a result of the attack that happened that day. And it blew me away. I was holding that book open in my hands, and I just thought, how? Like, how could this, how could this be? How could it be that this person that I've spent the summer with do something like this? Like, how could this happen, but not just how could this happen for, for him, but how could this happen for that woman, the victim, and her family, and the people that surrounded there? I just found myself in this deep place of questioning and wondering, like, how could this be? How could this have happened to him and to that person and to the people in the community? It just struck me. I just, I just had too many questions at that moment when I opened up that notebook. I thought it was going to be something trivial, like he was in the wrong place. But no, he was in the right place to get the care he needed. But how? How could that be? I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place, too, where you ask those kinds of questions. Like, how could this be? How could this be for my life? How could this injustice be when you see it with your own eyes for the first time? How could humans do this to one another? How could I treat myself this way? How could, how could this happen, right? Well, I think this is precisely the context and the reality with which the biblical writers find themselves when they write Lamentations. In fact, the book of Lamentations, the Hebrew word for the name of the book is ekha, and ekha means how, how. And there's not a whole lot of um, exclamation points or punctuation marks in the Hebrew text. So it can either mean how, as in like I'm crying out to God, how can this happen? Or it can also be a question mark, how? How could this happen, God? Like how could you allow Jerusalem to be destroyed? How could you allow for all these things to take place? Have you really rejected us? How could this be? Now, I know for many of us who are part of the life of this church three years ago, you already know so much about Lamentations because we had our worship service together and, and we had Soon Chan Ra come, but perhaps it's just worthwhile to reflect and remember a few things about Lamentations as we're back in Lamentations chapter 5 today. And one of the things I want to recall for us is that in chapters 1 and 2, the authors of Lamentations structure the poetry by use of an acrostic, an acrostic means that each verse begins with kind of like A, B, C, D, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Davel, He, right? So it follows the alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and it follows all the way through for the 22 verses in that. 
Sung Chan Ra said that this gives order in the midst of chaos. In the times of that deep questioning of life and how could this be, at least there's order to the chaos, right? So it holds you together as you read more about the lamentations that overwhelm the people of God as they consider the loss of Jerusalem and the loss of their lives and their friends and their community to everything they hold dear. There is order in the midst of chaos. In chapter three, the acrostic amplifies. So it's three verses of A, then three verses of B, then three verses of C. So you can kind of feel this is moving towards somewhere, moving towards hope, right? And you hear that in the verses that I read at the very beginning of the worship service, that these things call us to mind, and therefore our hope is in the Lord. Great are the mercies that we experience every morning. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord. You can hear that. And then in chapter 4, it returns to the acrostic in 1 and 2, just one verse. But then in chapter 5, it all falls away. The text you heard me read, there is no acrostic. The order is gone. We're back to just chaos and loss and destruction and wondering and questions and how and how. There's a book I've been reading lately that I really love, and it's by Ellen Davis. She's a professor from Duke University. She's a Christian, but she is an Old Testament scholar, and she's an excellent person that knows Hebrew. She's just an incredible writer, and she wrote this little book called Getting Involved with God, and I love this book. And while I was reading it, it, while it wasn't about lamentations in and of itself, it was about the Psalms of Lament which if you expand outward of the ideas of what's happening here in Lamentations, you know, about 70 psalms in the psalms deal with lament, deal, deal with this kind of harsh reality of how, how could sin happen in the world? How could these things take place? And this is what she writes, and I think this is so significant for understanding the importance of Lamentations. She says this, One further mark of realism of the Psalter is the fact that it includes two psalms, Psalm 39 and 88, that make no turn toward praise. The very existence of these exceptional psalms is important, for it suggests that unresolved despair is itself one legitimate, though tragic, aspect of our life with God. Crying out to God, screaming at God in the darkness, like Job, refusing false comfort, yet still being unable to rise and embrace hope, there is room for that also in the life of faithful prayer. I love this sentences because I feel a deep sense of liberation when I hear what she has to say. What I mean by that is that in the life of church, we often think about needing to bring our tidy selves, our good selves, the, you know, the best part of ourselves, and leaving sin and frustration and our deep questions at the door at the sanctuary when we come to worship, or even when we pray to God, we want to just say, and I always say, gracious God, that's how I often lead a lot of my prayers. But there are times in our life when we have such deep questions, and as she said, when we are unable to rise and embrace hope, there is room for that in a life of faithful prayer. Like This is part of the biblical example that exists in the whole of the canon of the scriptures. And for that, I'm incredibly thankful, and I feel liberated because apart from that, what would I have done had I opened that book when I was in that hospital that day? I could have just hidden that and held on to it and kept it to myself or something. But no, God wants us to bring these deep questions. God wants to bring all of who we are to God. 
And not just the best parts, not just the good parts, not the happy parts, but frankly, there are times in life when the joy has left us, as Lamentations 5 says, that our dancing has turned to mourning. And it's precisely in those times that God wants us to bring ourselves to God, to just name it and tell God, God, I do not have hope right now. I cannot rise up, and I just need to tell you about it in prayer. There's something to me about this writing from Ellen Davis that is deeply liberating, and and I think there is something deeply liberating about Lamentations chapter 5 too, that we can bring our unanswered questions to God. We can bring those questions to God. So for you today, friends, maybe you find yourself in a place like this, in a place without hope, in a place of deep pain or deep questioning or hows, then I just encourage you to bring that to God in prayer. You don't need to have the right words. You can just close your eyes. You can just say it. Just talk to God today. Maybe not. Maybe this is the best day of your life. It's sunny outside. I saw some trees blooming. You're ready to go for a hike. Maybe you are hiking and you're not worshiping today because it's so beautiful outside and you plan to watch worship later today. Then great. Just put lamentations in your back pocket and remember it's there because undoubtedly all of us in our human life are going to encounter moments like this. And when you wonder, what do I do with this? It's going to be there for you. And not just it, but God will be there for you in that moment. And you can bring all of who you are to God. Trust me. One last uh, story I want to tell for you this morning as we look at Lamentations chapter 5. It's been almost a year now uh, since the pandemic got started. And I've been reflecting on the beginning of that happening around March. And there was one evening after one of our mandatory Mexico meetings that me and the leadership of the Mexico team, we got together and we had to make this really incredibly difficult decision to cancel the Mexico trip. I know now it's like everything's canceled, but back then it was this incredibly hard week of canceling one thing after another and having to make all these decisions. And there was lots of tears in the room and it was really hard. And a couple days after we made that decision and we told everybody about it, I got this email from a high school student and I wanna read it to you all today because to me, I think it exemplifies this kind of prayer. I don't think she knew it was prayer, but I think it was prayer. So I just want you to listen to it now. The words are not going to be on the screen, but I just want you to hear this prayer. This is what she wrote to me in an email. When I found out that Mexico had to be canceled, I immediately broke down in tears. I couldn't believe that the event I hold closest to my heart had been shut down. I went to bed crying, woke up crying, and took a sick day from school so I could take time to mourn the loss of the trip. I thought I had my tears under control, but then I saw your Instagram post and the heartfelt caption, and that was such a perfect reflection of my own thoughts, and a fresh wave of tears came right back. And it even didn't stop. I've been on the verge of tears all this whole week. At first, I attributed this towards school or the absence of it, but the sorrow just didn't seem to match up. So tonight, I took a little drive, as I often do when I'm sad, and I listened to my Mexico playlist on Spotify, all those great songs that I listened to on that trip and that we listened to. And just listening to those songs made me start to cry again. And I realized why I've been so sad. The Mexico trip has brought me unmeasurable joy over these past three years. Words can't even begin to describe how much I cherish that one week every year. I don't think I'll ever get over the loss of this Mexico trip. The coronavirus has robbed me of lots of things, but this one hurts the most by far. I've never been able to answer the question, what's your favorite part about the trip? 
because I love every single moment with every fiber of my heart, so I can't even begin to list the things I'll miss about it. Now, I couldn't fix that problem when she wrote that email to me, but I think I just told her it sounds a lot like Psalm 6. My bed is drenched with tears, and those tears are worship. This is worship. This is prayer. You can bring this to God. God wants you to bring all of who you are to God. Your laments, those times when you have no hope, God wants it because God wants to be in relationship with all of us. He wants to bring all of that to God. Join me in a word of prayer. God, we do thank you for you. Ah, oh, God. Just that when things overwhelm us, when our sins are too hard to bear, to look at, when the injustices we see in the world around us, just the pain of how much we hurt one another, God, it can all feel overwhelming, but we have you. We have you, and we can always cry out to you. We can always bring ourselves to you. And for that, God, I'm thankful. And we may not have hope in some times in our life, but we always have you. And for that, we're thankful, God. We give you thanks for you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.